Welcome to Not Your Mama's Relief Society. I'm Annie Joy, and me and Julie are on a mission to teach the tools to help us to build a kinder Zion. Join us for today's conversation because there's always room on the pew for you. All right, my friends, welcome back today. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. (laughs) Julie, we are like a snap. Welcome, welcome back. back. Welcome <laughs> back. Something. I don't know. It's no, I like society. You have the best welcome back. Don't worry. It's it's such a good welcome back. Okay, yeah. so today we have Miss Camber Hess, who is actually in my neighborhood. She's in my hood. She's in my ward. And I just love her because she is always this like sweet, peaceful energy. And anyone who knows me in real life, I guess you can probably assume from interwebs as well that like I'm a high energy human so (laughs) Julie right like that and it's fun but it's also so powerful to have these like calming energies in your life and Camber is one of those like calming energies you're like oh I can just chill out for a second it's magical (laughs) anyway Camber tell us a little bit about you and oh before you do though I wanted to say that I was so grateful that she reached out to me and said I just had this prompting and it won't go away. And I just feel like I need to talk about this. And could I share it on your podcast? And I was like, one, I love that you are brave and asking. Cause some people are like, oh, I just had someone else ask. And I'm like, please ask. That's not going to hurt anything to ask me. And most likely I'm going to say yes. But so bravery in the asking and two, like bravery in the following through on the prompting. Yeah. Like how powerful is that? Because if that you have cute. a feeling it's not going away, then it needs to get talked about. So I'm just so impressed. That is all about you. (laughs) All right. So I'm from Arizona originally and just moved back to Annie's neighborhood. So happy to be here. I have five kiddos and they're in range in age from 10 down to almost two. And then I have one that's on the other side of the veil, our sweet little Sarah. And my husband and I have been married for about 16 years. And I'm a nurse practitioner, just work a tiny bit to keep my skills up. And most of the time I'm at home with my kids. Well, so I'm a nurse practitioner, so I'm going to keep that in my back pocket yeah. <laughs> or any question I might have. I'm like, oh, I need a nurse. <laughs> Colin Camber. Okay. <laughs> love it. <laughs> I'm here for you. <laughs> I, I love it. So good. Okay. Well, today, Camber wanted to talk about supporting someone you love through like a faith crisis or faith transition. I, I think Dave Butler called it like a faith journey, which I love, um, especially someone that like maybe you're married to or some in your household. And I think that that's powerful because we did talk about those who maybe are leaving and like how to support them and they're not aligned anymore, which is also so powerful, but there is a different dynamic when it's someone really close to you or that you're married to, or it's your child or someone that's like a much closer proximity of a relationship. And there, she has some really powerful points. So we are just going to let you rock and roll and don't mind us. We're going to interject because we do and have questions and whatever, but I'm so excited to hear what you have prepared today. Okay. Awesome. So my husband, about four and a half years ago, he came to me and he was just like so nervous. And he said, you know, I have been struggling with my testimony and I really feel like I need to look into things a little bit more and take some time to kind of examine my faith. And like that night is like vividly stirred in my mind. It's just like, 
hard for him to even bring it up. He's so scared about how I'm going to react. And he had struggles a little bit here and there in the past and had always worked through them. And so I just kind of thought, well, he'll probably just work through this and hopefully, you know, after a few months, he'll be back and good to go and we'll be fine. And so he um, took some time and just kind of gradually like stepped back and back and back from the church and eventually came to the conclusion that it wasn't true. And for a while, he was just kind of like out of the church and not sure what he wanted to do. And with time, he decided that he really wanted to follow Jesus Christ. And so he started looking into some other Christian churches. He looked into Christian orthodoxy and ultimately decided to become Catholic. So he was baptized Catholic about a year, two years ago. And um, so he's been Catholic since then. So it's been a really wild ride with all the big emotions. And I am not here because I handled it perfectly. I'm here because I didn't handle it perfectly, but I've learned a lot and grown a lot as a person. And I also felt like it was so hard to find support during that time. And so I just really feel like it's important to talk about it and be open about it and give that support to other people that might need it. I was wondering, I know we're going to get into how to kind of support those people and stuff like that, but I feel like this story is so interesting. I'm wondering where your kids are with everything, their ages too. I think just for curiosity, one, but also for us to kind of have context over everything where they are. Sure. So my oldest daughter was probably like six or seven when all of this started to go down. And so she wasn't like baptized yet or anything like that. That was a big source of agony for me. And eventually when she turned eight, my husband wasn't a member of any church and she decided to be baptized and member of the church of Jesus Christ. So my dad baptized her and um, that was really sweet. Now I have a son that's coming up on eight in November and I have no idea what we're going to do. We go to both churches about three, two or three times a month. And then the other Sundays, the kids will just kind of alternate. So we go to Catholic church and LDS church sometimes on the same Sunday. And they try to just kind of equally split their time. My husband and I split time between doing scripture study at night. So he'll take it one night and I'll take it the next. And so that's kind of where we're at right now. Um, It's like a great source of um, worry and fret about what to do. And I'm trying to just trust what's going to happen with my kids in the future. I don't know. but. We're still working on that. And I think that sometimes it's good to just talk to somebody that's in the journey because I don't think that any couple in the situation is going to say, I have everything figured out and I know exactly what's going to happen in the future. None of us do. And so it is just a process of figuring it out and taking it one step at a time. I think it feels really huge too, to like, because it's our thing we're going through and it has religion kind of stapled onto that. But I do that same thing with my own husband. I'm constantly like, are we parenting our kids that way? Are you sure about that? Yeah. Are we on That's the same page? About modesty? Hold yeah. on. No, we're not. We're not going to talk about that that way, you know, or whatever. Or even just religious topics. I've grown very different in, like, my approach to maybe, like, LGBTQ topics. And, like, my husband has a little bit of a different way he sees things. And so we're navigating that, just even trying to meld those two lives and raise these kids. So I commend you. I think it's, it's hard. Right. Yeah. It's and hard. That's a super valid point that regardless of what faith views you might have, there is some nuance to that anyway in a marriage. Right. right? 
then that's going to be much wider if it's different religions. But I think that there's, yeah, there's merit to that, but like the, we're, that we're all trying to figure it out. And I do think it's so valuable to talk about, like you said, and I know we talked about, you're like, I'm a little nervous, but I want to talk about it. I think it needs to get talked about. And that's literally the purpose of this show is talking about the things that we're not talking about that we need to, because there's lots of people in some spectrum of the situation and don't feel comfortable saying in relief society, I have a lot of doubts and questions, right? And and to be able to have the conversations in a loving and emotionally safe space allows people to move forward in their journey instead of staying stagnant and being like, well, I don't, I don't know about this. So I'm just going to stay here and I'm not going to progress. I'm not going to, whatever, you know what I mean? And between some of the other conversations we've had and hearing your story, because I didn't know that. I didn't know you guys went to both churches. That's pretty cool. I think that's interesting that your kids are getting such exposure because this is a thought that I've been trying on with my children because they're in a different home half the time, right? And and they're experiencing a vastly different set of beliefs, right? And like, well, they are getting to experience a lot of things and they are not going to be the sheltered little kid that I was growing up. And they're going to have a lot more to look at and then say, this feels good to me, whatever that is, right? And so, but I love the faith that you're having to take it one step at a time because we don't know how it's going to go tomorrow or 10 years from now or five weeks from now. And I love that you are choosing to have your family be together. And if that's the core of God's plan, then I think that that is the highest priority, right? Your family loves each other. It seems like you guys, I mean, I watching you on the outside, right? Seems like a very loving family. And if that's our main goal, then let that be the main goal. And the the journey we take in the meantime is all part of our le- learning and our growth. And I love that you said too, I didn't do it perfectly. Well, if we did, we wouldn't be here, like in life, right? If we just did all the things right, we would just already be translated. So most of us are showing up imperfectly the first time, maybe the next 10 times. Like yeah. You know, 10 times in, I'm like, still not doing this right, but we'll get there. So I think it's beautiful. But yes. I and it. it's also, it's really valuable, I think, for kids to grow up in a home where they know that our love for them isn't conditional on them being in a certain faith tradition or believing a certain way. And of course, like I would love for all my kids to have my faith and to believe the same way that I do. But how healthy is that, that they know that I'm going to love them no matter what, and that our home is a safe place to, to learn about different things. And so there are, I think that that you really can see some positive things come of it. So, and then back to what you were saying about, you know, it's, I didn't handle this perfectly. I really think that in this situation, as in so many other situations, you have to go through a grief process and that includes all the stages of grief and grief. I mean, there's like denial, there's anger, there's like shock. What are all of them? I think that I went through every single one of them in this cycle. And honestly, if I'm truly honest, I spent a lot of time with anger. Like there was just so much hurt and pain there. And so a lot of times I just felt mad because this isn't what I wanted. And this isn't something that I would have chosen. And so trying to work through that and choose love instead has taken a lot of time and a lot of prayer. But I, I think it is possible. I love How that. do you think we're able to, to kind of reconcile that? Because 
that's a big thing I've seen in my own marriage. I know that I've like come to points where I've thought, well, this isn't the way that I thought it was going to be. And then you look at the things that are really good and you go, yeah, but so much of this is what I want. And maybe that's what I'm wondering is like, was that a similar path that you went through where it's like, okay, so the celestial marriage that I thought it looked like isn't what it looks like anymore. And then you have to look at all of the good things or what was kind of the journey in your like, because I think there's a point where you have to choose to stay and you have to choose to love, right? Yeah. And honestly, I think that at the beginning, I just kind of, I had moments where I was like, how can any marriage survive this? Like the differences just feel so insurmountable. And I think that my husband really gets a lot of the credit because he's amazing. And he just consistently showed love to me, even when I was struggling really intensely with everything. And, and I think that what you said is really true. Like in any marriage, I don't care who you are, or who you marry to, you're going to encounter stuff that you didn't sign up for because everybody changes. Everybody goes through stuff. Nobody knows what it's going to be like when you get married. And so maybe you don't go through this particular challenge, but you're going to have other ones and you're going to end up dealing with stuff that you didn't plan on. And that's marriage, choosing to love and choosing to stay. Like you said, Julie, I think it's so important. And then, like I said, I think that prayer is huge too. I remember there was one night when my husband and I were sitting on the couch together and it was hard and there were a lot of tears, mostly my tears. I did most (laughs) of the time. (laughs) And, and I just remember feeling just this like pure love for him. And that was truly like a gift of the spirit. That was heavenly father helping me feel how much he loves him. And I think that that is a gift that all of us can pray for. If we can't get there on our own, then the Lord can get there because he truly loves these people in our lives, whatever they're struggling with and whatever we're struggling with. And so I think that that was huge for me was praying and praying, you know, like, how do you feel about him? How do you feel about the situation? Help me to love the way that I'm supposed to love here. Yeah, I love that. I also noticed one of the things that you were talking about was recognize that they're likely hurting. And I think this is so interesting because I think sometimes it feels like it's an assault because religion is such a base core for us. It's like, they're assaulting me. They're, they're assaulting my knowledge and my way to view things and my, the way I think about the world and all of these things. But it's so interesting to be vulnerable enough to go like, cause was your husband raised in the church? Uh Uh-huh. Yep. So what, uh, like earth shattering experience that had to have been for him. It was, we don't always want to feel that, that. you know, sometimes it felt like his soul was just being like ripped in two, you know, just yeah. going through that and all the, all the pain that that was for him. So, yeah, yeah and I think, I think it's fair to like, let's say if we learned anything from Voldemort, ripping your soul in two is not a good thing. Yes. <laughs> That's what we learned from Voldemort. <laughs> I always love a good Harry Potter reference. <laughs> anyway, that's it. So, and I think that also like, it's okay to set some boundaries too, because I can't be there for every single feeling that someone leaving the church is going to have. So I tried to listen as best I could. Sometimes I would just shut down. I would just like max out emotionally. Like I couldn't, you can't hear all the anger, all the things that are hard or all the things that bother them. You know what I mean? Like I can't be the one that takes all of that on me. And so it was important. Like he had some other friends that were really huge in supporting him and being able to listen to him or that were going through similar things. And so he was also to get support there. 
And so I think it's also fair to be like, you know what, I'm tapped out right now. I need to pause this conversation or this is too much for me. I need some time, you know? And I think that sometimes in those hard conversations, it's important to know what your limits are and to, and to express those. It's nice that you hold boundaries because it seems like to me that the two of you to get to a place where you could live the way that you're living right now, it takes you both being respectful of each other's religions. Yes. Which is a boundary. I mean, you have to hold that boundary because a lot of people who do leave their church of origin, there's the anger or there's those feelings because they're dealing with childhood trauma too, which just intensifies whatever it is. But like, I like that you have to come to a point where like, listen, I get for you, this isn't working. The boundary is like, can we like, we're still going to church together. You're going, I'm going to your church or I'll support you in this, or we don't talk bad about the church or we read the scriptures this way. Like those are all boundaries that create so much health when you're navigating a situation like that. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like you guys really on both ends are having healthy communication about because we can't say here's the line of like how much you could listen to. That's an individual decision, right? To say, oh, and just to be in tune enough with yourself to say, oh, I'm feeling X, Y, Z. Here's my few points than to know that I've had too much and I need to like take a step back. And that's true of most things, right? But like to know that and say, oh, love, I, I want to hear you right now. I'm tapped out. I'll have to come back or whatever. And so I think that that what you're saying is so powerful because you guys are both respecting each other and both communicating, hey, this is what, you know, that I, I need right now. And that he being so kind and loving towards you in that, because I don't know if that's always the case, right? Like sometimes marriages end, I don't think it's because, well, and this is not to apply to all marriages, but I feel like I've heard of some where it wasn't so much that one left, it was more that like how they were treating each other in one staying and one leaving. Does that make sense? Like that was yeah. the catalyst for the start of the behavior. But then like I got attacked constantly for going to church. You know what I mean? Like there, when there's a healthy relationship, you can navigate probably any problem that comes up if you are able to communicate with each other. And so, and I think it's cool that you guys have figured out what that boundary is for you. Cause you're not saying for some other marriage, like you guys need to go to each other's churches. Like maybe that doesn't work for them right? Like it's, it's having a conversation together about what you're both okay with and moving from there. Yes. And having that mutual respect for each other and recognizing that like his point of view is valid and my point of view is valid, you know, and we just try to support each other. So I love that. Yeah. Perfect. So I think that like going through this, I I think that one of the things that we don't talk about is how hard it is to be in that space where somebody's really struggling with their faith and you're trying to support them and trying to listen. And then also like learning stuff that's really hard or having your faith challenged in ways that you never expected or wanted or sought out, you know? And so I thought that it would be helpful to just kind of touch on like what was helpful for me during that time. And one of the things that really, like, I really needed to do was I like thought back constantly on like, what were my core spiritual experiences? Like, why do I believe what I believe? What gives me strength? And just putting myself in sacred spaces whenever and however I could do that. I was listening to like church music in the car. I was like reading scriptures when I could. I went to the temple when I could. Like I tried my best to invite the spirit into my life as much as I could, because I just 
felt like this drowning person that needed air. And I just was desperately trying to get that air wherever I could get it. And I remember one time I went to the temple and I just was like feeling so lonely. I was like, oh, I'm at the temple by myself and my husband doesn't come anymore and this is hard. And I happened to run into um, his uh, aunt in the dressing room. She like came over to my stall and she's like, hey, Camber, hi. She's like that kind of person. And, and then when I went through the veil into the celestial room at the temple, um, his uncle, the wife's husband, was there. And, and then when I came back down the stairs after everything, I ran into my, the aunt again. And I just like kept running to them everywhere I went in the temple. And the spirit just whispered to me in that moment, like, you're not alone. And that moment was just, that was such a touching experience to me to just feel like Heavenly Father like saw me in that moment and knew that I needed to feel that community or feel like I wasn't doing this by myself. And that was, that was a really huge thing for me to have that experience. I also had another experience where I was listening to a podcast that a friend had sent me and she was struggling also with her faith and um, was just like sharing some stuff with me. And so I remember listening to it and I don't want to get into like a lot of specifics, but on the podcast, the person that was talking was just kind of talking through like some of the things that people might be struggling with. And he mentioned some things about like the first vision accounts and which the church is like very um, transparent about now, which is great. But at the time he was kind of like, and so therefore like this really calls into question if this ever happened. And so this is, you know, this probably makes like means that it didn't actually happen. And he's like making it up. And that was such a hard, um, I remember just being like so disturbed and so upset by hearing this thing that this man had said about that. And I was praying about it and like, what do I do? And did a lot of research. I read a book about it and I feel totally peaceful and great about that thing. And what I realized in that experience was that there's a lot of information out there. And for the most part, like we all agree on what the facts are, but what do the facts mean can be really difficult. Like people will take the same facts and make wildly different assumptions about them. And so I, I really learned to be picky about who I listen to. And some people will say, oh, you should listen to both sides. And that's totally fair um, stance to take. But I felt like what I really needed was to, um, to look at things from an angle of like, I, like my spiritual experiences really like make me feel like this is true. And um, how can I support that? That's kind of how I worked through that. And so I think that just being really careful for me about like, you know, who am I going to believe? Who am I going to listen to? How am I going to learn about this and try to understand things better um, was really big for me. So that was really helpful as well. Yeah. And again, I think that's true of all relationships, right? Is that we need to be constantly filling our own lamps and spending time and energy on what is my light looking like? What is my testimony looking like? What is my relationship with deity looking like? Whatever you just, whatever you subscribe to as far as deity goes, maybe it's the universe, maybe it's Buddha, maybe it's, you know, that they're all one if you're of that Christian faith, right? Like whatever that is, what is my relationship with that? Because you actually said something so powerful um, in your notes. You said, recognize that their experience in the church may not be the same as yours. Their path won't be the same as yours. They have different needs for growth than you. And I think that that is actually very powerful in maintaining your own faith. Because if I can yes. separate their experience from mine, that we've talked about being one, right? And I and we sometimes confuse that, I think, about like 
we're one in purpose. Like you guys have the same purpose to love each other and have a good marriage, to raise kids who are good humans, right? Like you have these places that you are one and connected and united in, but your experiences are not going to be the same. So to assume that they would be, is going to be a little bit of crazy making to like think yeah. that they're going to have the same experience as you and trying to force someone to have the same experience as you also like creates more dissonance and like isolation because we're expecting things to be exactly the same and they're not. And so I love what you're saying that you have to like find your own opportunities for growth. You have to figure out what it is for you that you need and, and, and go from there and like be the light that you need to be for yourself first and foremost. Yes. And everybody's journey looks totally different. And so we, I think that I, we have to give God a little bit more credit for being able to work with us where we're at and to use a variety of means to help us to grow in the ways that we need to grow. And what my husband needs is totally different than what I need. And it's different than what other people around us need. And so while my experience in the church has brought me so much joy and I love it so much, and it's the greatest source of strength and help to me, that might not be somebody else's experience. And I need to respect that. And also respect that God understands that and knows where they're at and exactly what they need. And they might take a different path back to him than I do. And I think that that's okay. Yeah. I loved the idea that you were saying too. I think this is a really important thing. If you have somebody that's near you, that's in a faith, faith crisis, I think a lot of times they've been processing this for a long time and then they get up the courage to spring it on somebody. And it feels like that it feels like, whoa, that just got sprung on me. And I think you would be hard pressed to really identify your true feelings on the matter at that point in, in the discussion anyway. Like when you're saying I could only listen to like certain sources or read certain things and stuff like that, I think the person going through the faith transition needs to give space to the other person to process. And I think for you to process and be able to emotionally get to a point where you even feel safe again in that relationship, since it's such a big, it feels like, oh my gosh, you just sideswiped me with this whole new person that I didn't understand you were. And I didn't know you were there. And this was like somewhat of a secret, maybe even that they were keeping or whatever. But so I don't think it's fair for someone who's going through a faith transition to immediately expect or assume that you want to follow on that journey or that like you're even prepared to like start taking in all the information that they have, right? That they've maybe spent years processing or years looking into and things like that. Nor like, are you even in a place where the spirit, like, I just feel like your spirit's got to be so discombobulated with that information in the beginning. I feel mm -hmm. like you might be to a place now where you're settled enough that like you might be able to really examine line upon line other information, right? Like, okay, Joseph Smith's different versions of the first vision. Okay, now I can process this thing. I'm not dealing with the fact that like what I thought was literally happening in my celestial marriage is like, looks like it's falling to the earth in tatters, right? <laughs> and that's so intense that I think the other the spouse or the person who's very close to you, I think it is very important for them to be mindful. You have had so much time 
and energy to process? And how hard was it for you to process and get to that point? And now you're bringing this information to somebody new and you want them to, you're throwing it in their lap and you want them to accept this hot ball of lava and just be like, what is it? This is so interesting. I want to examine it and look at it and like bathe in some lava. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's just so approaching the person with as much care. And I think that's what kept you safe. Chamber is that like, you were really just slow. You're like the thing I know. And the thing that feels right for me right now is my stability. And that has, that's the church for me right now. That's the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So I'm going to slowly intake what I can and be, you know, thoughtful of myself. And I think that that's why the spirit was able to still stay close to you because otherwise you've got to feel so discombobulated. I don't know. I mean, right from left up to down, it's like, that's a hard thing to try and then access the spirit through. Right. Like it's trauma. Mm -hmm. There's a little bit of trauma that's involved. And then they're like, okay, now connect with the spirit. There's still small voice, but like, where is it? You know? Yes. So I like that you were very cautious. And honestly, like when I went through this time, I did have a a time where it just felt like when I was praying, like the ceiling was just like black, like nothing was getting through nothing was coming down that was such a I just feel like heavenly father are you where did you go right he'd now always been there yes he'd always been there in my other really really hard things I've been through and one of the things that really helped me a lot was the story of the tree of life like Lehi's vision you know the part where like they go through the mist of darkness mm-hmm. I've thought about that mist of darkness so often because it's not like the people that go through that mist are doing anything wrong they are holding onto the iron rod they're trying to get to the tree of life. They're trying to experience God's love. And sometimes along the way, there's just darkness. And I think that that is part of life. Mm-hmm. I really do think that that is part of our experience here because you know what? We're supposed to have faith and faith is not to have a certain, a sure knowledge of things. It is to have faith and we believe in things that aren't seen. And so that probably my lowest point was in 2020, like everybody's favorite year when everything was just like horrible. And so I'm like struggling through this with my husband and church is out. We're not going to church. And so I just feel cut off. And during this time we had been, I felt really strongly that we needed to have another baby. So we had had a failed round of IVF and we'd been trying for over a year and I finally got pregnant. I'm so excited. And then I miscarried. And then miraculously I got pregnant right again, like the next month and a half or later or something like that. And then I miscarried that baby, both like really bad miscarriages. It was so heartbreaking. And I honestly, I was like, Heavenly Father, why did you leave me? Why, where did you go? I totally, I knew that he'd forgotten about me. That's how I felt. Because I I couldn't understand why he would do that. I was like, you've always helped me in the past. You've always been there. You've always helped me. This is the darkest time of my life. Where did you go? And I had a friend or uh, our old bishop came over. He lived right across the street, came over and gave me a blessing. And it's like, honestly, it's humiliating to ask somebody else for a blessing when you're like having a miscarriage, like another man, that's not your husband. You're like, well, this thing is going on. I don't usually talk to men about this. You know, it's like really embarrassing. (laughs) He was so sweet about it. And he came over and gave me a blessing. And first thing that he said in the blessing was how much Heavenly Father loved me. And um, sorry, all emotions are good here, right? You guys are good. Yeah, 100%. (laughs) So anyway, I think that that's kind of when the lights came back on a little bit. And I was like, he didn't forget about me. And from that moment on, like I had the miscarriage later that week and I was at complete peace about it. 
because I knew that he he loved me. It was kind of like I didn't care about anything else. A couple months later, I got pregnant again. I don't know why. I was like struggling and then suddenly just getting pregnant so easily. And then I started miscarrying that baby again. And um, I happened to have an interview with the state president for my temple recommend that night or one of the nights during this. And I went in to see him and he was asking how he's doing, knowing that my husband had just, he'd just taken his name off the record of the church. So really like not my favorite summer. And he's really like, right? how are you doing? Yeah. And I was like, you know, so we were talking a little bit. And then at the end, I was like, could you give me a blessing? I'm working on my third miscarriage of the year. It's been a really poopy year. Like I could just really use a blessing. And so he gave me a blessing and he healed my body. The baby was spared. That baby's about to turn two. And that was such a miracle in my life. And, and it was just so reassuring that Heavenly Father was there, even when I couldn't feel him. And it's kind of like, you know, like in the middle of the night when it's super dark outside, if you think of God's love, like the sun, it, it's burning bright and strong and hot and warm all the time, no matter what. And in the middle of the night, you might not be able to see that or feel it, but it's still there. It hasn't gone anywhere. And you're going to see it again. But part of life, I think, is sometimes just being separated for that. So I just, I want to just tell people, if you're going through a hard time, if it feels like God's far away, he is still there. He still loves you. And sometimes we go through times of darkness, but his love hasn't changed at all. And you'll feel it again. And that was my experience through that, like, really poopy summer that I had. <laughs> oh my I gosh. The awesome. really poopy summer of Camber. It's like a yes. song title, 100. And I think that what's so beautiful about that too is that knowing that that's there and that's real can also create more compassion and empathy for those that are maybe saying, I can't do this, right? Like to, to know that we're all experiencing some level of it, maybe to different yes. degrees, again, kind of creates that space of like, we're all going through journeys. We're all going through times of doubt. We're all going through mists of darkness. We're all trying to grow and learn in certain things. And yeah, I think that's really powerful. You put in your notes, the car is driving beautifully. Tell me more about that. Oh, <laughs> this is an analogy I heard from somebody else that I really appreciated. He said that, you know, when he, he had left the church and was coming back and he said that he felt like there were a lot of times when he was like, it's like, I was looking in the engine of a car and you're looking at, you're like, God, this car is not going to run. This is wrong. And this is wrong. And this is wrong. And this is wrong. This is a bad car. And it's kind of like God is saying, get in the car, turn the key, see if the car runs. And then if that is working for you, then that kind of tells you everything else, if, if that makes sense. And so for me, like, I can't explain every single question. I have worked through so many difficult questions about the church. I have found my own resolution, but there were times when it's like, I don't know the answers to these questions. There's still questions that I don't know the answer to, but I know for me, when I get in that car and I turn the key, it runs beautifully and it's the hugest blessing in my life. Oh, I love that. Really cool analogy. I like that. I feel like for me too, the point that you made that like, we're all meant to have faith and not knowledge is a really big thing for me and a really strong portion of my testimony. I, I think sometimes we just want to know, we want to know, we want to know, we want to know. And even when it comes to like, uh, I know some people really had faith crisis issues about like the different versions of the first vision. And to me, there's even aspects of that, that we can't know, like we don't know. Yeah. But I feel so excited that like, I love these, these ideas. So really clinging to the sp spiritual experiences that you've had and writing them down, put yourself in sacred space spaces, be picky about who you listen to. Remember that it's faith and not knowledge that we're searching for. 
I just expect that there's going to be mists of darkness. These bullet points that you've put together are so helpful for someone as you're really trying to stay in your own faith. And if that is your, you know, your goal and that's what feels right and good for you, these are excellent tips. I think it's going to help you feel grounded too. I just think it's got to feel like a tornado. It's just so chaotic at that moment when someone's rocking your brain. I, it's, it's the same thing, you know, anytime a big life altering decisions made and the actual linear way that you see your world is just being rocked. It's, it's scary. And you're like, okay, what does this mean now? Yeah. And I think that sometimes those moments, that's when we have to really learn to trust God in a way that we've never had to trust him before. Yeah. But I mean, isn't that true of all the things we have to go through? You know, so we think that we're just going to like get through life. Right. And, but there, you're not going to get through without multiple things that will just like cut you to your knees. And, you know, like there's always going to be hard stuff. So in that hard stuff, that's where we're figuring this crap out is in the hard stuff. It's not in my fluffy, like I'm in a good mood and my kids are being nice to each other. Anyway, you know, Jared Halverson has this really beautiful way of, he has like a, a framework for faith crisis that he calls creation, fall atonement. And I think that that's so helpful to like view really honestly, any difficult thing that we go through, because we start out as children, like with just the simple faith, you believe anything your parents tell you and everything's good and everything about life is beautiful. And God always answers every prayer right away. I don't know. You just kind of have the simple faith of, oh, it's all going to be easy and it's good. And God loves me. And that's great. And then suddenly you go through trials that just rock your world, whatever that trial might be. And everybody goes through that and you have to come through this. And so that would be kind of like what in his view is like the fall, like leaving the garden of Eden and you kind of lose this innocence because you realize hard things happen. Like we go through hard things and you don't always understand why. And, and then in the process of going through that, then that's like the atonement phase. If you can find your way back to heavenly father and find your, find that faith in Christ and find that healing that comes through that, then you have this atonement. And at that point you are stronger, you're more mature. You have this greater understanding and greater faith than you ever had before. And I personally, I would never want to go back to the garden. I like this atonement phase where I have a relationship with Jesus Christ and I have a greater sense of compassion. I have a greater capacity to love other people and their weaknesses because I've seen my own weaknesses. What I found by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, she's the grief, the stages of grief lady. She said, the most beautiful people we have known are those who have known defeat, known suffering, known struggle, known loss, and have found their way out of the depths. These persons have an appreciation, a sensitivity, and an understanding of life that fills them with compassion, gentleness, and a deep loving concern. Beautiful people do not just happen. I think that that quote is so beautiful. And I think it really is like, it's been so true in my life. I would never give up the hard things that I've been through because they have made me better, including this. This has made me a better person and I'm still learning lessons and I'm still learning to love better. And I'm so grateful for that. That's what I was gonna say. I feel like you've got like, what are some of the things that you feel like coming sort of on the later part of this? Now you've gone, you're four years, you guys kind of have a little bit more of a routine. Like, what are some of the greatest gifts that you see now looking back? I'm sure there's still lots of hardship, but what are the gifts that you feel like you've received? Yeah. 
I think that for one thing, my faith is stronger because I've had to work through so many things. And so I, I think that I've kind of learned to like, understand that you can have faith, even though people in the church are not perfect and leaders of the church are not perfect. And I am not perfect. And I think I love the savior so much more because of that, because we all rely on him so much. So it's made me a lot less of a black and white thinker, like, oh, things have to be this way. And I have to be like, everybody should be perfectly righteous in this way. And this is the only way to be. I feel like I really used to think that way. And now, as I was saying before, I think that I have to expand my view of what God can do and how he can work through people's lives in a lot of different ways. And it's also made me so much more compassionate uh, towards other people. And I think that one of the biggest things that I want to learn out of this is just how to love people no matter where they're at, no matter what they believe, no matter what they're struggling with. Partly because I want that for myself. I want people to love me even though I'm imperfect. And I think that one of the biggest things that Heavenly Father wants me to do in my family relationships is not to fix my husband, not to make him believe a certain way, but to love him. And I think that when people have children that are really struggling, especially adult children, it's like God doesn't really need you to preach to them. They already know you've taught them everything that you believe. And what they really need, what God really needs you to do is just love them. And so trying to grow in that capacity to love is really important to me. And one of the things that I have grown a lot in since going through this. Yeah, that's awesome. I think and, like that um, when you are loving these people where they're at, you're creating a space to have the conversations that could potentially help them in the way you want to help them, right? Like shutting people off and saying they're wrong or whatever, it just shuts the doors opening the doors comes from loving them. And then you have conversations of like, because you have a safe space to say like, oh, this is something that I read today. It really resonated with me. And maybe the spirit speaks to them and it's one drop. And maybe they have an experience in their church that they share with you and it's a drop for you. And it just, so much more growth happens when we're allowing these safe spaces to exist. I think and this will lead into our next topic of conversation, but I think that a lot of times we hear the words, the only true church, and that makes us feel important and kind of, sometimes it can make us feel better then. And I think we can be a little bit judgmental that way. And it also feels devastating then when someone doesn't choose the one true church, right? But the truth is, is if we look at a lot of Christian churches, we are parallel in a lot of the things that we preach and, and teach, which means that there's vitally important information in all of those different religions. And I know you want to focus on this a little bit, but I think that that is where, you know, from not your mama's relief society, like really trying to break down that idea of, I understand that there's things that the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has that's like the temples, right? Or like unique to us, right? The priesthood being returned to the earth and things like that. But I love this kind of exploration that you kind of did. So maybe you can touch on that a little bit, because I think it's really important for us to be open to this idea too. Yes. Well, this, I mean, this also came out of like a lot of like soul searching on my part, you know, seeing my husband join another church and just trying to reconcile him having spiritual experiences in that church. And trying to understand what does this all mean? How does this all work out? And I found a lot of things that were really helpful for me. One, first of all, I want to start with Alma 29.8 in the Book of Mormon. He says, For behold, the Lord doth grant unto all nations of their own nation and tongue to teach his word, yea, in wisdom, all that he seeth fit that they should have. Therefore, we see that the Lord doth counsel in wisdom according to that which is just and true. So 
that scripture has been so huge for me in understanding God speaks to every nation. And so if we are looking for it, rather than looking to see what other religions or beliefs are doing wrong, to see where is the evidence of God's hand in them is so, so much of a healthier way to view it. Michael Wilcox said something that I also found so helpful as I was trying to process all of this. He said, God has been speaking to his children all the time, every way he can, everywhere. I can hear his voice in the voice of a sage or a philosopher or a poet or playwright. God's voice is like an orchestra. We believe in a God that is speaking all the time, everywhere, every way he can. And I thought that that was just so helpful. You can see evidence of God's, the principles of goodness and love and things like that in so many different religions and many of the great works of art and things like that. One night as I was praying and just really trying to understand, what does this all mean? Why do I see good things in this church that I might not necessarily agree with? And how do I understand all this? And I got this really clear prompting, which is that God is eager to bless his children. Like he's eager to bless them. And so any way that he can bless them and help them, he's going to do that. And so I truly see his hand in, in a variety of churches and faiths. And I think that he really does, like when people come and they're sincere and they want to follow him, he is going to help them. He's going to inspire them. He's going to lead people to Jesus Christ or just even, you know, if it's a non-Christian religion, you know, lead them to God or this idea of deity. And that's going to bless their lives. Any way that he can bless their lives, he will do it. Back to what you were saying, Julie, about how, you know, like there was the one true church, you know, there's this wonderful book about ancient Christianity. It's called Ancient Christians, an introduction for Latter-day Saints. And one of the scholars of ancient Christianity, Dr. Jason Combs, said something that I also felt was so helpful. He said, the special purposes to which God has called us and which for which God has established the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints do not require us to spend our time trying to prove other churches and religions wrong or apostate. Likewise, the blessings of restored and new scripture do not require us to dismiss the inspired, inspired insights of ancient Christians or even other modern Christians. He also said that when we use the phrase restored church, it should be understood as shorthand for the restorations the doctrine and covenants does address, the bestowal of priesthood power, authority, and keys associated with making sacred covenants establishing Zion, gathering scattered Israel on both sides of the veil, and binding up all dispensations in preparation for the second coming of Jesus Christ. I think that those are the specific mission of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So I think that the church was restored for us to have like certain things that we're supposed to do to help prepare the world for Jesus Christ to come again. But that doesn't mean that God isn't also working through other churches and helping them and blessing them and blessing his children any way that he can. And I see so much evidence of that when I visit other churches and see how much they love Jesus Christ and how much they are experiencing the joy of that through their own faith. I have felt many times, even though I really want everybody in my family to believe the same thing and to be in the same faith as me, I really feel like God has got my husband and that he's where he needs to be right now and that this is okay and that he's got all of eternity to work this out for our family, however it needs to be. I'm trying really hard to just trust that God can work through a variety of means to help us and to bless us for whatever it is that we need. I think that's so true. And I think also that, oh shoot, it left. I had a thought. 
Oh, I remember. I remember. Okay. The thought was, oh man. Oh, it's back. I love what you said though, that like that quote you shared that we are, our job is not to make other people wrong. And our testimony is not about making other people wrong. And that making other religions our enemy is doing what Satan wants us to do. He wants division. He wants us to be enemies. He wants us to not be friends, right? But if we could just say, thanks a lot, Satan, have a nice day, and just band together, like the beautiful things that could happen if all the people who believe in God in some way were to come together and be like, yeah, we got this. I mean, he would be vanquished in a minute, right? It's just, so it is powerful to think about that these are not our enemies. People who believe in a, a different version of the gospel don't, that, that's not our enemy. That's not people we need to be shutting out. These are people we sh uh, really should be joining, linking arms with and yeah. preparing for the second coming, right? And so I love that quote you shared about, we don't have to make other people's wrong to like build our testimony. Yes. And we can even be learning from them. You know, I have a neighbor across the street that um, is a member of a different faith. And she, every time I talk to her, she's talking about, she prayed about this thing and she prayed about this thing and like God helped her with this. I love her faith. She is amazing. And I always come away from conversations with her, like feeling uplifted. And also I should pray more like her because she just has this amazing test, like relationship with God. I admire her so much. And so I think having this humility of, I don't know everything and other people can have a relationship with God that I can learn from and I can benefit from that is I think really helpful too. And that's helped me a lot too. Yeah. God's so glad that like, God's so glad that you are coming to him through the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I have a feeling he's so glad that other people are coming to him in the way that they are too. Right. You said in the beginning, I mean, we also believe in like degrees of glory. So we believe that God's prepared even in our like afterlife places for all of us to be of glory. Right. Like, so it just kind of makes sense that that would be a part of the flow. But I was thinking about when you said we go to Catholic church and we go to our church. And I thought that is more Christ in their, in her children's life than my two person of two members of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints are giving their children currently. I'm like, oh my gosh. And they're reading scriptures. Like ugh, we're not reading scriptures every night. You know what I mean? I'm thinking... <laughs> Right there, like, there isn't even a deficit. Like, there's been an increased abundance, I think, of relationship with Jesus Christ and a relationship with God and coming to him. Like, that sounds like to me that there's been some pretty big blessings. Yeah. I think that God, you know, at Easter time, the Catholic Church has all of these incredible traditions. And so if you've never been to an Easter Mass or anything like that, it's a really beautiful experience. And sometimes I'm like, man, why don't we do this kind of stuff? But I don't think that that's like a knock on us, but like, I think it's just showing that like they are worshiping God in a really beautiful way that I can learn from. And it doesn't have to detract from my faith and it doesn't have to detract from their faith that I believe differently, but that I can just gain from that and, and have this experience to worship in a unique way that's different than I worship. And it's really beautiful. And so that's, I think that that can be really helpful. Like you were saying, you know, to just have more exposure and different kinds of exposure to allow my kids to learn in different ways or to experience God in different ways. Yeah, in fact, that's what Emily Bell Freeman does with her Multiply Goodness is offers these like study guides. You can, you know, have other faiths come together and like study scripture together. And I went to her Jubilee event last year 
And it was so beautiful because it was heavy in the LDS, you know, attendees, but there were some other people like of other faiths. And we got to sit down in these little small groups and there was like seven different Bibles in the middle, different versions. And everyone just picked up their version and we all would like read a couple verses in each one of the different versions and what we pulled out of it and what we just had this discussion with other people of other faiths around the same Bible verse. And it was really powerful. It was good to see what you're saying. And so it was just a small snippet that I got to experience, but it did open my eyes more to, yeah, there's a lot of goodness in this world. And can we embrace all goodness? And honestly, that's one of the articles of faith, right? That if it's lovely and virtuous and of good report, we seek mm -hmm. after these things. And like you said, it doesn't have to take away from my faith. I also feel like my car is driving beautifully when I go to church and do these things. It's driving great for me. And is there everything I could add to my faith worship that would allow me to grow even closer to God? And yes, Julie, good point. She's got extra Jesus in her house. I think that's great. <laughs> yeah. Who don't need some extra Jesus? I mean, I do. Yeah. I do desperately. Like he's the best. So I love that. I just, I'm so impressed. I didn't know bits of the story and I'm so impressed that you guys are so committed to having a Christ-centered home and you're doing it in a way that makes sense for your family and that honors everyone's agency in your family and how powerful is that just so good so good so is there anything else that you feel like you just want to make sure that like if there's someone out there that's in your same position maybe they're on one side of the faith transition or maybe they're on the same side as you yeah say, I'll just, I'll end with one little last anecdote. When I was deciding, you know, like I said, we were trying, you know, praying about this last baby that we had, that's almost two, one that with miscarriages and everything like that. And at one point, so in my husband and I were sealed in the temple. And so those sealings remain intact when somebody resigns from the church, but any children born after that fact are not sealed. That's like what the um, doctrine is. And so I knew because my husband resigned his membership in the church, that if we went ahead and had this baby that I just felt so strongly that we needed to have, that this baby would not be sealed to me. And one of the miscarriages happened before he resigned and I had planned on him waiting to resign. I hope this isn't oversharing, but I planned on him waiting to resign until after I had that baby. So the baby would still, still be sealed to me. And then he could, you know, go ahead and join another church or whatever. Uh, Cause I just really wanted that security, you know? And when I had that miscarriage, part of what was so hard about it was I was like, you know what, you need to move forward. You need to move forward with what you need to do. And I got down on my knees and I told Heavenly Father, I am not going to have this baby. I'm not going to have a child that I'm not going to be sealed to. You could have, this could have worked out differently. Like, I'm sorry, but we're done. <laughs> it's kind of like, I was feeling a little bit like a softy at the moment. You can kind of tell, but the answer that I got was very clear. And the Lord told me, he's like, I have all of eternity to take care of that. And, and he assured me that I needed to go ahead and have this, this child and she's a wonderful baby and I feel peaceful about it. She wasn't born in the covenant and I trust heavenly father. We have all of eternity to figure this out and he's going to work it out and it's going to be okay. And so I just want to assure anybody else that might be in this situation or really worried about like how our ceiling's going to work out. How's my family relationship going to work out? What's eternity going to be like? Like, just leave this to God. He has told us that he is mighty to save. In, in the scriptures, his work and his glory is to bring to pass our salvation. He's good at it. That's what he does. And so I don't need to worry about it. I don't need to do anything. I can't save anybody. I can't save myself. Like God's going to take care of that. And if I'm doing what I need to do, that's going to, it's going to be okay. And so just learning to trust him 
and and rely on him instead of trying to work things out on my own has been a huge lesson for me. That is so beautiful. I love it. So I feel like kind of to wrap up, because usually we'll ask people like, how has this strengthened your relationship with Christ? And I feel like we've been talking about that the entire episode, right? Like how this has strengthened that relationship. So kind of just to sum up that like the point that you are sharing today is that we need to be able to love and listen and support the person going through this journey. We have to do the things that maintain our own faith, keep our own light up, and then also growing in respect for other religions, other beliefs, other things that are going on in this world that are good and of lovely and are of good report, right? And at the end of the day, that we are here to love. Our natural state is to love. Our greatest commandment is to love, to love God, to love our neighbor, love ourselves. And if we are focusing on that, if we are focusing on the core of this gospel, then like you said, everything's going to work out and God's got them. I love that. That's so powerful. Amber, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and your wisdom and your heart. I am, I feel like I have learned a lot for my own self and I'm sure other people listening are also going to be understanding more about their own situations and maybe how they could look at just the way their own faith journey is going, right? Because we're all on some kind of a journey. And I think this insight will be helpful wherever you're at on this journey to to be a more kind and loving person in all these situations. So thank you so much for being here. You are incredible. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for giving me this chance. This is awesome. You're welcome. You guys are great. All right, friend, thanks for being here and we'll see you next week. Thanks for being here today. If you like the podcast, the best way to support us is to leave a review and five-star rating. And come hang out with us and join our community at our new Instagram at notyourmamas.rs.